Chapter 2, Part 13 of The Story of an African Farm by Olive Schreiner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Sally McConnell in Betty's Bay, South Africa, in April 2010. Dreams Tell me what a soul desires, and I will tell you what it is. So runs the phrase. Tell me what a man dreams, and I will tell you what he loves. That also has its truth. For whoever from the earliest childhood to the latest age, day by day and step by step, the busy waking life is followed and reflected by the life of dreams. Waking dreams, sleeping dreams. Weird, misty and distorted, as the inverted image of a mirage, or a figure seen through the mountain mist, they are still the reflections of a reality. On the night when Gregory told his story, Waldo sat alone before the fire, his untasted supper before him. He was weary after his day's work, too weary to eat. He put the plate down on the floor for Doss, who licked it clean, and then went back to his corner. After a time the master threw himself across the foot of the bed without undressing, and fell asleep there. He slept so long that the candle burnt itself out, and the room was in darkness, but he dreamed a lovely dream as he lay there. In his dream to his right rose high mountains, their tops crowned with snow, their sides clothed with bush and bathed in the sunshine. At their feet was the sea, blue and breezy, bluer than any earthly sea, like the sea he had dreamed of in his boyhood. In the narrow forest that ran between the mountains and the sea, the air was rich with the scent of the honey-creeper that hung from dark green bushes, and through the velvety grass little streams ran purling down into the sea. He sat on a high square rock among the bushes, and Lindell sat by him and sang to him. She was only a small child with a blue pinafore and a grave, grave little face. He was looking up at the mountains. Then, suddenly, when he looked round, she was gone. He slipped down from his rock and went to look for her, but he only found her little footmarks. He found them on the bright green grass and in the moist sand, and there where the little streams ran purling down into the sea. In and out, in and out, and among the bushes where the honey-creeper hung, he went looking for her. At last, far off in the sunshine, he saw her gathering shells upon the sand. She was not a child now, but a woman, and the sun shone on her soft brown hair, and in her white dress she put the shells she gathered. She was stooping, but when she heard his step she stood up, holding her skirt close about her, and waited for his coming. One hand she put in his, and they walked together on over the glittering sand and pink shells, and they heard the leaves talking, and they heard the waters babbling on their way to the sea, and they heard the sea singing to itself, singing, singing. At last they came to a place where there was a long reach of pure white sand. There she stood still, and dropped on to the sand one by one the shells that she had gathered. Then she looked up into his face with her beautiful eyes. She said nothing, but she lifted one hand and laid it softly on his forehead. The other she laid on his heart. With a cry of suppressed agony, Waldo sprang from the bed, flung open the upper half of the door, and leaned out, breathing heavily. Great God! It might be only a dream, but the pain was very real, as though a knife ran through his heart, as though some treacherous murderer crept on him in the dark. 
The strong man drew his breath like a frightened woman. Only a dream, but the pain was very real, he muttered, as he pressed his right hand upon his breast. Then he folded his arms on the door and stood looking out into the starlight. The dream was with him still. The woman who was his friend was not separated from him by years. Only that very night he had seen her. He looked up into the night sky that all his life long had mingled itself with his existence. There were a thousand faces that he loved looking down at him, a thousand stars in their glory, in crowns and circles and solitary grandeur. To the man they were not less dear than to the boy they had been, not less mysterious, yet he looked up at them and shuddered, at last turned away from them with horror. Such countless multitudes, stretching out far into space, and yet not in one of them all was she. Though he searched through them all to the farthest, faintest point of light, nowhere should he ever say, she is here. Tomorrow's sun would rise and gild the world's mountains and shine into its thousand valleys. It would set, and the stars creep out again. Year after year, Century after century, the old changes of nature would go on, day and night, summer and winter, seed-time and harvest, but in none of them all would she have part. He shut the door to keep out their hideous shining, and because the dark was intolerable, lit a candle, and paced the little room, faster and faster yet. He saw before him the long ages of eternity that would roll on, 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 and never bring her. She would exist no more. A dark mist filled the little room. Oh, little hand! Oh, little voice! Oh, little form! he cried. Oh, little soul that walked with mine! Oh, little soul that looked so fearlessly down into the depths! Do you exist no more for ever, for all time? He cried more bitterly. It is for this hour this that men blind reason and crush out thought for this hour this this they barter truth and knowledge take any lie any creed so it does not whisper to them of the dead that they are dead oh god god for a hereafter pain made his soul weak it cried for the old faith they are the tears that fall into the new-made grave that cement the power of the priest for the cry of the soul that loves and loses is this, Bridge over death. Blend the here with the hereafter. Cause the mortal to robe himself in immortality. Let me not say of my dead that it is dead. I will believe all else, bear all else, endure all else. Muttering to himself, Waldo walked with bent head, the mist in his eyes. To the soul's wild cry for its own there are many answers. He began to think of them. Was there not one of them all from which he might suck one drop of comfort? You shall see her again, says the Christian, the true Bible Christian. Yes, you shall see her again. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and the dead were judged from those things that were written in the books. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Yes, you shall see her again. She died so, with her knee unbent and her hand unraised, 
with a prayer unuttered, in the pride of her intellect and the strength of her youth. She loved, and she was loved, but she said no prayer to God. She cried for no mercy. She repented of no sin. Yes, you shall see her again. In his bitterness, Waldo laughed low. Ah, he had long ceased to hearken to the hellish voice. But yet another speaks. You shall see her again, says the nineteenth-century Christian, deep into whose soul modern unbelief and thought have crept, though he knows it not. He it is who uses his Bible as the pearl-fishers use their shells, sorting out gems from refuse. He sets his pearls after his own fashion, and he sets them well. Do not fear, he says, hell and judgment are not. God is love. I know that beyond this blue sky above us is a love as wide-spreading, over all. The All-Father will show her to you again. Not spirit only. The little hands, the little feet you loved, you shall lie down and kiss them, if you will. Christ arose, and did eat and drink. So shall she arise. The dead, all the dead, raised incorruptible. God is love. You shall see her again. It is a heavenly song, this of the nineteenth-century Christian. A man might dry his tears to listen to it, but for this one thing. Waldo muttered to himself confusedly. The thing I loved was a woman, proud and young. It had a mother once, who, dying, kissed her little baby, and prayed to God that she might see it again. If it had lived, the loved thing would itself have had a son, who, when he closed the weary eyes, and smoothed the wrinkled forehead of his mother, would have prayed God to see that old face smile again in the hereafter. To the sun, heaven will be no heaven if the sweet, worn face is not in one of the choirs. He will look for it through the phalanx of God's glorified angels, and the youth will look for the maid, and the mother for the baby. And whose, then, shall she be at the resurrection of the dead? Ah, oh, God! Ah, oh, God, what a beautiful dream, he cried. But can any one dream it, not sleeping? Waldo paced on, moaning in agony and longing. He heard the transcendentalist's high answer. What have you to do with flesh, the gross and miserable garment in which spirit hides itself? You shall see her again, but the hand, the foot, the forehead you loved, you shall see no more. The loves, the fears, the frailties that are born with the flesh, with the flesh they shall die. Let them die. There is that in a man that cannot die, a seed, a germ, an embryo, a spiritual essence. Higher than she was on earth, as the tree is higher than the seed, the man than the embryo, so shall you behold her, changed, glorified. High words, ringing well, they are the offering of jewels to the hungry, of gold to the man who dies for bread. Bread is corruptible, gold is incorruptible. Bread is light, gold is heavy. Bread is common, gold is rare. But the hungry man will barter all your minds for one morsel of bread. Around God's throne there may be choirs and companies of angels, cherubim and seraphim, rising tier above tier, but not for one of them all does the soul cry aloud, only perhaps for a little human woman, full of sin, that it once loved. Change is death. Change is death, he cried. I want no angel, only she. No holier and no better 
with all her sins upon her, so give her me, or give me nothing. And, truly, does not the heart love its own with the strongest passion for their very frailties? Heaven might keep its angels if men were but left to men. Change is death, he cried. Change is death. Who dares to say the body never dies, because it turns again to grass and flowers? And yet they dare to say the spirit never dies, because in space some strange unearthly being may have sprung up upon its ruins. Leave me! Leave me! he cried in frantic bitterness. Give me back what I have lost, or give me nothing! For the soul's fierce cry for immortality is this, only this. Return to me after death, the thing as it was before. Leave me in the hereafter, the being that I am today. Rob me of the thoughts, the feelings, the desires that are my life, and you have left nothing to take. Your immortality is annihilation. Your hereafter is a lie. Waldo flung open the door and walked out into the starlight, his pain-stricken thoughts ever driving him on as he paced there. There must be a hereafter, because a man longs for it, he whispered. Is not all life from the cradle to the grave one long yearning for that which we never touch? There must be a hereafter, because we cannot think of any end to life. Can we think of a beginning? Is it easier to say, I was not, than to say, I shall not be? And yet, where were we ninety years ago? Dreams! dreams. Ah, all dreams and lies, no ground anywhere. He went back into the cabin and walked there. Hour after hour passed, and he was dreaming. For, mark you, men will dream. The most that can be asked of them is but that the dream be not in too glaring discord with the thing they know. He walked with bent head. All dies. All dies. The roses are red with the matter that once reddened the cheek of the child. The flowers bloom the fairest on the last year's battleground. The work of death's finger cunningly wreathed over is at the heart of all things, even of the living. Death's finger is everywhere. The rocks are built up of a life that was. Bodies, thoughts, and loves die. From where springs that whisper to the tiny soul of man, you shall not die? Ah, is there no truth of which this dream is shadow? He fell into perfect silence, and at last, as he walked there with his bent head, his soul passed down the steps of contemplation into that vast land where there is always peace, that land where the soul, gazing long, loses all consciousness of its little self, and almost feels its hand on the old mystery of universal unity that surrounds it. No death. No death, he muttered. There is that which never dies, which abides. It is but the individual that perishes. The whole remains. It is the organism that vanishes. The atoms are there. It is but the man that dies. The universal whole of which he is part reworks him into its inmost self. Ah, oh, what matter that man's day be short! that the sunrise sees him and the sunset sees his grave. That of which he is but the breath has breathed him forth and drawn him back again. That abides. We abide. 
for the little soul that cries aloud for continued personal existence for itself and its beloved, there is no help. For the soul which knows itself no more as a unit, but as a part of the universal unity of which the beloved is also a part, which feels within itself the throb of the universal life, for that soul there is no death. Let us die, beloved, you and I, that we may pass on forever through the universal life. In that deep world of contemplation, all fierce desires die out, and peace comes down. He, Waldo, as he walked there, saw no more the world that was about him, cried out no more for the thing that he had lost. His soul rested. Was it only John, think you, who saw the heavens open? The dreamers see it every day. Long years before, the father had walked in the little cabin, and seen choirs of angels, and a prince like unto men, but clothed in immortality. The son's knowledge was not as the father's, therefore the dream was new-tinted, but the sweetness was all there, the infinite peace that men find not in the cankered kingdom of the tangible. The bars of the real are set close about us. We cannot open our wings, but they are struck against them, and drop bleeding. But when we glide between the bars into the great unknown beyond, we may sail for ever in the glorious blue, seeing nothing but our own shadows. So age succeeds age, and dream succeeds dream, and of the joy of the dreamer no man knoweth but he who dreameth. Our fathers had their dreams, we have ours. The generation that follows will have its own. Without dreams and phantoms man cannot exist. End of chapter 2, part 13